What's up, skeptics? I'm your host, Zoe McDaniel, and you're listening to Professional Skepticism. So today's topic I felt like was really only fitting after last week's episode of Marilyn Manson. Today we are talking about the satanic panic. I feel like I said that weird. Satanic panic, um, which was a big deal between the 1980s and the 1990s. And still there is some influence today from satanic panic. I think there kind of always will be just based on religion and the way that people are taught different things about religion. So let's get into it. And before we get started, I did want to go ahead and just put my sources up front because I feel like in the last two episodes, I haven't done the best job of being like, this quote is from here and this is from here, which I'm normally pretty on top of. I always, you know, will put my sources in the show notes, but I just wanted to call them out first before we get started, just so I don't do anything I shouldn't do. So my main sources for this episode were Vox, the New York Times, Wikipedia, the Virginia Commonwealth University. I found one of their professor's um, lecture material, so I thought that was cool. And then also the Satanic Temple website and the Church of Satan website. With that, I guess let's go ahead and get started. I guess I'll trigger warning this episode as well. There's nothing that I'm going to go into as much detail about as I did with like Marilyn Manson and Charles Manson. Those episodes were a little bit out of the normal with kind of the aggressiveness of some of the topics that we discussed, but we will be having a sensitive conversation today um, that pertains to children, but I'm not going to go into any severe details. So I just wanted to lay that out for you guys right up front. Okay. So satanic panic is the societal fear of the occult that troubled the world, mostly the United States during the 80s and early 90s. And according to Vox, it was characterized at its peak by fearful media depictions of godless teenagers and the deviant music they consumed. According to the Virginia Commonwealth University, the following components made up the major concerns regarding satanic panic. So actual satanists, which... There, there are Satanists. Um, most of them have nothing to do with any of these crimes, pretty much all of them actually, but like just the fact that there were people practicing Satanism under like an organized church of Satan, that really freaked people out. So the Church of Satan, and then shortly after the Church of Satan was organized, the Temple of Set came out, um, came out, <laughs> came into fruition, became a thing. It was a branch off of the Church of Satan And we'll get a little bit more into that in a second. The next component I have on this list is heavy metal rock and horrorcore music. Yeah. Violent and fantasy games. So I just have like a quick little blurb about this. So there is a woman named Pat Pulling and her son committed suicide, completed suicide, unfortunately. And she believed it was because... So he was an avid Dungeons and Dragons player. And I'm not going to touch too much on this because we might do like a little bonus episode on this because I think it's very interesting. But so he played Dungeons and Dragons and she believed that he completed suicide because of a curse that was put on him by the game D&D. 
So she went public and was like, role-playing games are dangerous and demonic and blah, 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 which I had never heard of this, so this is really interesting to me. Um, But yeah, so violent and fantasy games, child and sexual abuse, human ritual sacrifice, teenage abduction rumors, and animal mutilation was the final component. And I have here from that same source that prior to Satanic Panic, animal mutilations were occurring all over North America, and up to this point, they were being attributed to alien activity, UFOs coming down, you know, and like there'd be like cows out in the field and they'd all be dead and they'd be like, oh my God, it was an alien that came down and did like a crop circle and killed it. Now with all the rise of these other contributing factors, like the scary music, the video games, the abuse that's supposedly happening. And I'm not saying that there is an abuse happening, um, but we'll see here in a minute what I'm getting at. Um, Just a lot of different things, actual Satanists, People are like, oh my gosh, this is the Satanists that are doing this. They're coming up with these conspiracy theories of animal mutilation, and they are attributing it to satanic activity, satanic rituals, sacrifices, all of the above. So satanic panic was primed by activities that occurred in the 1960s and the 1970s. So once again, we are seeing the influence of Charles Manson and the Manson family as it trails through. Now, Obviously, they weren't necessarily doing things that were relating them to Satanism. Like, they weren't outwardly like, oh, we're Satanists. But it was a a family, and they were a cult. And so their murder spree in 1969 really shocked the nation and planted the seed of, like, ritualistic cult killings happening in the U.S. And then, unfortunately, there were more cult activities and deaths to follow the Manson family. So... You know, not saying that the Manson family has anything necessarily directly correlated with satanic panic, but they kind of laid this foundation of, oh my gosh, groups of people are going out and doing cult activities, killing people, performing sacrifices for helter-skelter or whatever sort of idea the cult leader is feeding to them. And then following these cult activities, we'll see a long stretch of pretty terrifying serial killers, like some of the most well-known serial killers today. So just all of this kind of stuff is like really freaking out the U.S. They're like, oh my God, people are going crazy. So let's get into it. Um, Our next bulleted section is about actual Satanists. And I didn't really know a ton about Satanism. And I don't think I, I'm not going to go super in depth on it because this is about Satanic Panic. We might touch on it again later. We'll definitely touch on Anton LaVey because I think he just deserves his own episode. But... Satanism has been an organized religion since um, like the 60s, the 70s, but there has always been this concept of Satanists, Satanism throughout Christianity. There's like medieval Satanism. So while it may not have been necessarily like an organized thing where, you know, we have churches of Satan and stuff now, there's always been this kind of concept of Satan and people worshiping Satan, like witches and whatever else you want to talk about. All right. So according to Virginia Commonwealth University, again, in 1966, Anton LaVey founded the Church of Satan in San Francisco, California, and he proclaimed that the year 1966, when he founded it, was, quote, the year one, or I don't know if I'm going to say this right, Anno Satanas, the first year of the age of Satan. So the Church of Satan believes, um, and this is from their website, that Satanists are atheists. 
They see the universe as being indifferent to humans, and so all morals and values are subjective human constructions. So my understanding that atheism is like, you don't believe there's a God at all, and then agnosticism is like, you know, there might be a God, there might not be, but it doesn't like really affect your life or like it doesn't really matter. So that's what they believe. This is a quote from their website. Our position is to be self-centered with ourselves being the most important person, the air quotes, God of our subjective universe. So we are sometimes said to worship ourselves. Satan to us is a symbol of pride, liberty, and individualism, and it serves as an external metaphorical projection of our highest personal potential. We do not believe in Satan as a being or person. So that was kind of what I saw in common throughout a lot of the different churches and organizations that claim to be Satanists. It's like they don't actually believe in like Satan or like worship Satan. It's like he's like Satan is an ideal. So in 1969, Anton LaVey published his philosophical treatise, The Satanic Bible. And according to Vox, he essentially plagiarized several sources and earlier philosophies of self-actualization and self-empowerment from writers like H.L. Mencken and Ayn Rand. Um, Regardless, it became the seminal work of modern Satanism and the key text for the Church of Satan that he had founded in 1966. And then he went on to write several other books about Satanism and the occult. According to the Virginia Commonwealth University in 1975, Michael Aquino, who had been a member of the Church of Satan, decided to found the Temple of Set based on organizational and philosophical differences with Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan. So the Church of Satan and the Temple of Set provided evidence of actual Satanists in North America. Again, like... I think people just hear the word Satanist or Satan and get really freaked out, which like, you know, that's okay. Like there's, it's scary sounding, you know? Um, But with everything going on, these cult killings, these serial killers coming out, now there's Satanists, now there's heavy metal music, now there's animals dying, now we're hearing these things about abuse. I'm not saying that like people shouldn't have been scared. I think we just took it a little bit far. But so, yeah, there's Satanists in North America. Um, The actions of these groups did not qualify as satanic ritual abuse, which we will talk about here in a minute, Um, but because of their association with Satan and potential devil worship, this really scared people in the United States. So according to Vox, the 70s saw rise of other self-proclaimed former Satanists, and they insisted that the world was being run on ritualistic satanic cults, which we'll come back to in the modern-day discussion. These Satanists, particularly, that really kind of freaked people out were Mike Warnke, John Todd, Herschel Smith, and David Hansen. And all four of these men grew up in Southern California, and they all claimed to have had conversion experiences, which made their stories appealing to Christians. And what I mean by that is that they claimed they, like, grew up as Satanists, performing Satanist activities and rituals and all that good stuff, and then were converted to Christianity. And so that was very appealing to Christians because they're like, oh, like you were able to convert over to Christianity. Now you're a Christian and you can tell us all this stuff about Satanism because you have firsthand experience, blah, blah, blah. So all of them were linked to emerging fundamentalist Christian right. Todd was supported by a Christian tract maker, Jack Chick, who used his fabricated claims as the basis for numerous comic-style pamphlets protesting Satanism, and that is from Vox as well. And then Warren Key spent over a decade posing as a, quote, expert 
in Satanism for the fundamental evangelical Christian community. So let's continue into the 1970s. We're still kind of priming the public for this fear-mongering that's going on. Everybody's about to get really hyped up, and you'll see why. So in 1971, The Exorcist was published as a book, and then in 1973, the film version came out. And this movie, actually, I just watched it for the first time maybe like a month or two ago. I typically don't really like to watch like religious scary movies and like demon scary movies because to me, like, it doesn't feel very scary. <laughs> There's a cat meowing in the hallway. I believe in you know, different spirits and entities and stuff like that. But I think it's as much as you believe that it's going to come into your life, it will. So like I said, I think like if you believe in that kind of stuff, you can allow it into your life. I don't, I mean, I I believe people when they like say they experience things like that, but I don't really think it applies to the way that I live my life. And so like watching those movies isn't necessarily scary for me. I'm just like, okay, like there's a demon, you know, what's going to happen for the most part. So I typically like to watch like stuff with humans because I feel like it's scarier to imagine like a person, you know, plotting your murder and actually carrying it out than like a demon. I don't know. So watching The Exorcist for the first time, though, I was actually like, I don't want to say impressed because, you know, it did come out in 73. So the quality of the movie's not great. But I was shocked. Like she's sitting there and she's like, let Satan fuck you. And I was like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Anyways, The Exorcism came out in 1973, and because it was supposedly based on a true story, this really freaked people out. Um, It also is responsible for kind of taking the Ouija board or Ouija board um, from just being like a fun game to being a tool that is actually used to, you know, contact demonic entities casually. So I think I'm going to do an episode on the Ouija board too. In 1972, self-proclaimed Christian evangelist Mike Warnke, who I had mentioned a minute ago as one of those supposed Satanists who came out with his, like, conversion story, he wrote a book called Satan Seller, and it was basically the memoir of the life that he had grown up living as a Satanist, supposedly. Basically, he told all these stories that, like, he grew up worshiping Satan and, like, as a child, and then as he got older, he would partake in Satan satanic ritualistic orgies and stuff like that it was supposedly discredited the memoir was fabricated so I don't really know how we know that for certain Um, I guess maybe his family or friends were like that's not true but these things are coming out and I think I might have mentioned this later on in my notes but this is one of those situations where like something comes out it goes viral and then everybody is like oh my god like that's crazy. And they, they hold on to that idea. And they're like, Oh, this guy actually was a Satanist. And then like, it comes out later, whether the person who, you know, went viral or the person, someone else like debunks it or corrects the information, or whatever, they come out and they're like, Hey, this is actually not the case. But the first instance of the event, like the first book, the first video, whatever, it gets viral and everybody sees it. But like the follow up doesn't get as much traction. And so, like, somebody could go out on the internet or go out in a book like this and be like, this is the truth. And then all these people are going to read it. There's going to be this shock factor. And they're like, oh, my God, that's the truth. And then the actual truth comes out later and people don't hear it. 
An article published by Vox by Vox proposes that while the following aren't necessarily Satan-related, these events primed the American public to believe that there was something evil going on on a larger scale. So in 1978, the Jonestown Massacre occurred, and though, like I said, not necessarily tied to Satanism, it was carried out by a cult. And in my opinion, I feel like based on this research and just like stuff that I've seen, I feel like the American public, and maybe just people in general, I don't know if it's just the American public, but all of these kind of buzzwords like occult, cult, Satan, rituals, like all of those words kind of mean the same thing to some people. They obviously don't mean the same thing. Like if you're actually into the occult and like you are familiar with these words, they absolutely do not have to have anything to do with each other. Um, But I think like when it's on the news and people are freaking out about it and it feels foreign and different and like the unknown, then people hear these words and they freak out. There was also, like I mentioned a little bit ago, an alarming amount of extremely well-publicized serial killer cases in the 70s. So we have the Zodiac Killer and the Alphabet Killer. Both used ritualistic methods to their killings and both were never caught. We also have Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, who we talked a little bit about in the Marilyn Manson episode, the Hillside Stranglers, David Berkowitz, aka the Son of Sam. So all of these really intense murders are happening or they're on the loose. That's scary. I feel like I can't remember the last time that I heard about a serial killer on the news. Um, Also, I don't really watch the news that much. I know that there's discussions of potentially a serial killer here in Charlotte, and I might do a bonus episode on that while we're waiting for information to unfold. But I can't imagine, like, that many serial killers being on TV all the time back in the 70s or now. Like, that's just intense. Like, I would be genuinely scared as well. So to summarize... We have actual Satanists, we have self-proclaimed Satanists telling all these stories that appeal to the Christian right, we have all these cult murders, we have serial killer murders. So there's a lot going on here in the United States. The United States is just antsy right now. What's up, skeptics? Thank you so much for being dedicated listeners of Professional Skepticism Podcast. I couldn't do it without you. If you like what we're doing over here at Professional Skepticism, please show your support by doing any of the following. Leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you stream the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Professional Skepticism Podcast. Subscribe to our Patreon for behind-the-scenes and bonus content at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. Get some merch at profskeppodcast.bigcartel.com. Check out our official website at profsketpodcast.com. Follow our Instagram at profsketpodcast. You can find all these links in our Instagram bio or in the episode show notes. We've come so far and our journey has only just begun. Subscribe to make the dream work. Stay sus, skeptics. So thank you so much, guys. I love you. And now let's get back into our episode. We're going to talk about the 1980s, the Reagan era. All right. So according to Vox, the 80s saw the spread of AIDS, misinformation, kidnapped victims' faces are being put onto milk cartons. There was the 1982 Tylenol murders, which is super interesting. If you haven't listened to the Morbid episode or the And That's Why We Drink episode about that, I think they both did it. Um, Crime Junkie might have as well. I would like to cover that, but it's just overdone. 
Um, but it's scary. Go check those out. And I think there was actually like another instance of that happening later on. Um, anyways, back to the 80s. So this is when the whole like check your trick-or-treaters candy to make sure that there's not razor blades and drugs in there. Um, that whole wave starts. And then the first wave, which I didn't know about this. This is the when the first wave of reports of killer clowns attempting to abduct children happened. So remember back in 2016, there was all these news reports of killer clowns in the woods. Like people were actually, for the most part, it was like a joke. People were just joking around. But there were actual victims of stuff like that. So apparently that happens every so often where just killer clowns are in the woods. On top of this, we have evangel evangelist. <laughs> it's such a hard word to say. Evangelists, they're fear-mongering, shocker. We've got Christian fundamentalists all in the news. Like there's just this very intense environment going on. According to Virginia Commonwealth University, the social condition that emerged in the 80s produced an environment for these very different rumors to create one plausible story about an underground satanic cult that was operating secretly throughout the nation. According to the New York Times during the Reagan era, this is a quote, more women were going to work by choice and necessity in the wake of the women's rights movement and as the country struggled with a recession. So now the need for daycares is increasing because mom and dad are both going to work. And this is kind of when the concept of stranger danger became a common household term here in the United States. And this was not good when paired with this like satanic panic situation going on. And this was when we start to see the satanic ritual abuse scare come into reality. Let's dive a little bit more into that. So in 1980, there was a book published and it's titled Michelle Remembers. It was written by a Canadian psychologist, Lawrence Pazder, and his former patient, Michelle Smith. And the book is about her memories of child abuse at the hands of Satanists. And this book was a huge contributing factor to the spread of satanic panic and the satanic ritual abuse era. Because like I said, it's that whole, you know, the book comes out, the video comes out, whatever comes out, it catches traction, it catches people's attention, people take it and run with it. Um, but uh, basically the book was essentially debunked, but the ideas were still kind of trapped into people's minds. I... I'm curious to know um, how the science behind like repressed memories and stuff works. Maybe we'll do like a bonus episode or something on that because it's come up in the last episode a little bit with like one of the um, anonymous reporters against Marilyn Manson said that like something about repressed memories. And now this was a whole book about repressed memories and it has been debunked, but I'm just curious like how that works. But Basically, so like I said, it was debunked, but this was still enough of, it caused enough of a scare in the public for people to be able to be like, okay, we need to start talking about stranger danger. We need to address the Satanists that are going around. And, you know, stranger danger is a little intense, but I think given the environment of the 1970s with all, you know, the serial killers and people are hitchhiking and getting murdered, letting strangers into our homes, not locking our doors. Um, I think all of that needed to come to an end. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with stranger danger like in that sense. However, the issue with stranger danger is that it became a part of the American lexicon as a means to lower the risk of strangers potentially sexually abusing children. And that was kind of the premise of the satanic ritual abuse scare. 
But unfortunately, children are often sexually abused more often than not by people that they actually know personally. But I think like in general, the stranger danger rule is probably okay. So let's talk a little bit about the actual satanic ritual abuse allegations. And this next little section is from Vox. So they said, at their core, satanic ritual abuse claims relied on overzealous law enforcement, unsubstantiated statements from children, and above all, coercive and suggestive interrogation by therapists and prosecutors. So the most common abuse case that was known of at the time was the McMartin trial. And that was and remains to this day the largest, longest, and most expensive trial in California history. In 1983, a parent accused one of the staff members at McMartin Preschool in Manhattan Beach, Florida, goodness, (laughs) Manhattan Beach, California, of abuse. During the investigation, police allowed an unlicensed psychotherapist named Key McFarland to conduct examinations of 400 children who attended the daycare. So McFarland famously used, quote, anatomically correct dolls. And I, I looked this up because I was like, what does that mean? Like air quotes, anatomically correct. The dolls just look like Raggedy Ann dolls, like little cotton sewn together dolls. Um, so he used these dolls and coercive interviews and he's like, what, what happened? Did someone touch you here? Like whatever. And then this resulted in about 321 counts of child abuse being leveled against seven daycare staff members by 41 different children. The claims included allegations that daycare owners had built secret underground tunnels that led to ritual ceremonies, had ritually sacrificed a baby flushed children down toilets and could turn into witches and fly. And now that was all from Vox. And it feels very witch hunty. All right. So this is from the New York Times. FBI agents, police officers, lawyers, and social workers gathered what they could and shared their findings at conferences and seminars. They handed out satanic calendars, traded pamphlets about symbols like the Cross of Nero and the Horned Hand, and copied lists of supposed occult organizations, which included a collective of feminist astrologers in Minnesota. Leave them alone. So I was reading this part, and I was like, like, it's funny. It's not funny, because this was serious, and people's lives were ruined. But, like, looking back at it, it's, like, almost laughable, because it's like, what are all of these, like, police officers and FBI agents and lawyers and whatever getting together at a seminar, like a convention, And they think that they stand a chance against Satan. If people are really so scared of Satan, I don't, like, I don't understand how we think, or how the thought process was that they thought that they would have a chance to, like, stop Satan. I guess maybe they thought they could stop Satanists, but, like, not Satan. So this is also from the New York Times. In April 1985, thousands of curious, angry, and confused customers were calling the corporate giant Procter & Gamble about leaflets that accused it of using its profits from household goods to support devil worship. So years earlier, these rumors came out that claimed that its logo, which at the time was a bearded man in the moon facing 13 stars, um, was actually a symbol of the devil. So the logo dated back to like 1882. Like it had been their logo for a long fucking time. And the stars referred to the 13 original colonies, supposedly, which I'm not questioning that. I'm just saying. 
Um, so the company then began a two-decade campaign to defend its name, sending reps to churches, filing lawsuits, pursuing court cases. And this went on as recent as 2007. They eventually changed their logo, and they actually did win a $19.25 million settlement in court over this whole satanic whatever mess, which I'm like, do they really need that money? I don't know exactly how it worked, like who paid them the money or what it was, but I'm like, it's Procter & Gamble. Like, they'll be fine. You know, I'm all about like, fuck capitalism. But Procter & Gamble is responsible for so many products, so many household products that like half the time, I don't even know it's related to Procter & Gamble. And then I'll like look at the back and there's like a little P&G sign. And I'm like, I really think it would be incredibly difficult for the world to like not have Procter & Gamble around. But I don't know, maybe I'm uneducated. All right. So according to the New York Times, again, in 1988, NBC commissioned its own special hosted by Geraldo Rivera, who described gruesome crimes, aired child testimony of abuse and interviewed Ozzy Osbourne, which I'm not really sure why Ozzy was in there. Like, I don't think that would like help anybody's case. But I am just picturing, you know, it's 1988, you're sitting at home watching TV and you see a bunch of children on TV being like, I was abused. You're going to believe that. Or like, even if you don't believe it, you're going to be disturbed by the fact that there are children saying this and like want to make sure that that's actually not happening. So apparently almost 20 million people watched this special. And the the documentary was called Devil Worship Exposing Satan's Underground. It became the highest rated televised documentary to air up at that point. According to Vox in 1991-2020 episode, famously aired an official Roman Catholic exorcism, which terrified people. I would like to watch it. Um, and then there was an evangelical documentary, one particularly is called Hell's Bells, and they were like trying to show the correlation between rock music and the occult. This is like the era of, if you play this Leonard Skinner song backwards, you're going to hear them say, Hail Satan, like that whole vibe. In 1992, the Justice Department did finally debunk the myth of satanic ritual abuse. So all of those um, cases that came out in the 80s and early 90s about these daycares abusing children, they were finally able to be like, you know what, I don't think that's true. Unfortunately, these accusations had already put people in jail. So you know, it's the mid-90s, this whole scare finally, like, fades out a little bit. However, supposedly law enforcement was still continuing to treat Satan as a potential criminal indicator, which we'll see a little bit of here in a minute. Um, but like I said, some of these defendants are still serving life sentences for crimes that they probably did not commit and which likely did not happen in the first place, according to Vox. I liked the way they wrote that. As of March 2021, most of these cases were um, overturned. So these convictions were overturned. At least three people as of March 2021 are still serving prison sentences, though, related to these abuse allegations from the 80s. Let's talk about some other cases that were influenced by satanic panic. So one that you might be familiar with is the West Memphis Three, which occurred in the 1990s. I would like to do an episode or potential series on this case because it's still ongoing to this day. They are out of jail now, um, but they're still dealing with a lot of stuff with the legal system. And it's actually like one of the cases that really got me into um, 
true crime and just this kind of stuff in general. So we'll definitely come back to that one. But basically, there was three teenage boys that were wrongfully convicted for the murder of three seven-year-old boys. I think it was three seven-year-old boys. They were, like, really young. And they were basically framed because they liked Metallica. And then in Britain in the early 90s, there was a British man who came under suspicion of murder um, due to entirely the fact that he practiced Wicca and had other occult hobbies. So it says, according to Vox, that he endured months of psychological entrapment by police. And then in 2007, this is another popular one that you might know about, the murder of Meredith Kircher in Italy um, and the conviction of Amanda Knox. So this was like her roommate at the time. They were in Italy together. They really demonized Amanda Knox. So during the trial, the chief prosecutor suggested, and this is according to Vox, without any evidence that since the murder took place the day after Halloween, that Amanda Knox must have murdered her flatmate, Meredith Kircher, with the intention of a sexual and sacrificial rite. One lawyer described her as Lucifer-like, satanic, demonic, diabolical, and a witch of deception. Knox spent four years in prison. She was acquitted. Then she was reconvicted, then reacquitted, and ultimately exonerated in 2015. And this is another one that a lot of true crime podcasts have covered. I know pretty sure Morbid and Crime Junkie have done it, um, and that's why We Drink may have done it as well. So let's talk about the modern day um, influence of satanic panic. So you may remember when everyone on social media was talking about Pizzagate. This was a conspiracy theory that basically, supposedly, the Democratic politicians were secretly trafficking children for sex, and they were holding them in the basement of this like pizza restaurant in D.C., which doesn't even actually have a basement. But somebody like took this so serious that they actually like took a gun to this pizza shop and they were like, pizza gates happening, blah, blah, blah. And that was kind of just a little like seed being planted for the fruition of QAnon, which I'm going to do an episode on. Because, oh my god, QAnon is crazy. So let's talk about like where it started. In October of 2017, there was an anonymous 4chan user going by Q. And he basically started saying that he had this like insider knowledge about this vast satanic pedophile ring involving Democrats, high-powered celebrities, and world leaders. And this conspiracy theory, the basis of it was that President Trump at the time, old President Trump, was pretending to be incompetent pretending to be incompetent so that he could more effectively apprehend the pedophiles in the government around him. And supposedly these pedophiles were practicing satanic rites, sexual abuse, trafficking children. And then it goes a little further to be like they were harvesting their children's hormones and making serums that would provide them with eternal youth. And if you guys remember a couple years ago when the whole like stop trafficking our children hashtag and all that stuff was happening and people were just like randomly popping up on the corner of the street doing human trafficking protests and stuff it it's sad because like so many people were involved with QAnon and I think people still are um and it's like it was such an easy one for people to get sucked into I think well I mean some of the shit in QAnon is crazy and we'll talk about it and you're gonna be like oh my god but I mean, as just a normal person, like, the average person would not like for their children to be human trafficked, I would say. So, like, it's a 
an, a good cause to get behind. So I can see why so many people were roped into QAnon. But basically what I'm getting at is that there was someone that was inciting this like satanic panic vibe and brought it into the modern day. They were like basically, you know, using alarmism, fear mongering, hysteria. Um, there were reports of like blood drinking, like I said, children being harvested, witches. So I feel like we see this cycle of um, every however many years, I don't know, like from the witch hunts to the satanic panic, like there's always someone that like brings up that kind of like archaic same old idea of being terrified of people who are performing satanic acts. And then it just blows up and really scares everybody, but nothing actually comes of it. Like there's really no evidence of anything actually happening. Another kind of like interesting one that happened not long ago was when Lil Nas X came out with like the Montero Call Me By Your Name music video where he's like having these like erotic scenes with Satan and then also like the shoes that he had put out that were called like Satan shoes and then he got like all this bad press which isn't necessarily bad press like any press is good press and like I feel like maybe it was like staged a little bit just to get the hype up about it. Um, but you know, satanic panic, people were freaking out about his shoes. So that's kind of all I've got. I did want to finish with like the satanic temple is different from the church of Satan. So I mentioned the, the church of Satan and the temple of set. And I'm honestly not really sure like where the temple of set stands today, if that's still a big part of the satanist world or not. But the satanic temple was founded in 2012 and it's another offshoot of satanism um, and they really don't want to be affiliated with the Church of Satan at all. Like, they really don't like the Church of Satan. This is from their website. The mission of the Satanic Temple is to encourage benevolence and empathy, reject tyrannical authority, advocate practical common sense, oppose injustice, and undertake noble pursuits. So according to the Satanic Temple, the Church of Satan expresses vehement opposition to the campaigns and activities of the Satanic Temple asserting themselves as the only, quote, true arbiters of Satanism, while the Satanic Temple dismisses the Church of Satan as irrelevant and inactive. So basically, my understanding of it is that the Satanic Temple is, like, very progressive, and they do a lot of things, like, they do a lot of social work. They're very um, big advocates of, like, the freedom to do with what you, your body with words the freedom to do with your body what you want to do so they're like very much against the anti-abortion stuff they're in support of people being able to have abortions if they want to you can like join the satanic temple and like use that as your religion to be able to defend your right to have an abortion um so they're very active in that kind of realm and this is also from their website. On the surface, some differences between the two organizations are immediately apparent. The Church of Satan fashions itself the inheritor of LeVay's legacy, so Anton LeVay. Um, they claim his philosophy of individualism, a collective achievement for which they rest upon their laurels. The Satanic Temple, on the other hand, is very active in public affairs. And unlike the Church of Satan, the Satanic Temple has a physical headquarters with weekly congregations in Salem, Massachusetts, which is cool that it's in Salem, and numerous regularly congregating chapters throughout the world. So they're just kind of like activists. Um, and I think they have that same concept of like, it's not like Satan worshiping necessarily. It's like Satan is this idea that like, like opposing the norm, like standing up for yourself, blah, 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 blah. It's just edgy. It's just an edgy religion, basically. 
All right, guys. I am so sorry to have struggled through that episode. I hope you enjoyed hearing Cosmo in the background. Um, (laughs) I sure did. Just kidding. All right. I think that's it. I already mentioned all of the stuff that you guys can follow in the middle of the episode. And be on the lookout for updates. And I love you guys. Stay sus, skeptics. Mwah.